Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And welcome to another edition of After Hours with Defoe and Luby, Jeff DeForest, and one Mike Luby Lubitz with you on the Believe Networks, uh, staring at a uh, plate of food right now myself. And uh, just thinking about it makes me think of this gentleman who uh, really, uh, numero uno. I mean, uh, you can have the adventures of Anthony Bourdain, of course, so well documented that the man would eat anything almost like Mike Luby Lubitz. And uh, you, you could follow competitive eaters like Joey Chestnut and Unfortunately, Kobayashi, who ended up like bussing tables at Whoa Hops in New York after uh, losing uh, his mind because he couldn't uh, taste defeat and uh, take it very well. But um, Adam Richmond really stands out in this category. He's done it all and also an accomplished actor. Uh, we welcome to the show Adam Richmond, uh, who has a new show out called uh, Adam Eats the 80s. Uh, Adam, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I mean, so many things to explore with you, uh, Adam, uh, including, uh, I mean, you're, you're a legitimate actor with, with real acting chops and uh, were featured in many, many things. But uh, how did you uh, make the transition uh, into the eating mode and, uh, you know, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, end up having a, a brilliant career uh, doing uh, various food shows? Well, thank you for the compliment. Um I came out of uh, Yale Drama in 03 and was blessed to be signed uh, by agents on both coasts and um, began acting. But the, I've been working in kitchens since I was about 13 years old and had food experience. And as anyone knows, I mean, the hospitality industry, restaurant industry in particular, is really conducive for an actor's schedule, uh, you know allowing time to audition and a little bit of flexibility in, in your schedule. Um, so I think that uh, it was just a perfect fit. And I've always sort of been enamored of food. I come from a family of really good cooks, and I've always sort of been kind of mesmerized by the, um, the language that food speaks. And I sort of built my food resume while I was building my acting resume. And finally, I saw an opportunity in, um, you know, through one of these auditions to fuse both my um, my performance and my culinary chops into one field. Now, tell us a little bit uh, behind uh, the theme of uh, Adam Eats the 80s. Uh, what exactly is that going to entail? Uh, were there uh, particular foods that uh, you've sought out that were only popular in the 80s, like liverwurst or something? But uh, how exactly did you get the idea? What was the inspiration for this show? So I can't take credit for the inspiration because the idea came from the network, but I think it was their direct response to seeing uh, how nostalgia was rating for them and how people truly still do love the 80s, whether it's the fashion, the music, the fads, the history. And you also have to take a step back and realize that there is um, a, um, you know, it's the last decade before the internet. It's the decade that saw the advent of the microwave, that saw Reagan say that you're allowed to advertise to children, that um, saw, you know, a massive amount of wealth flood the economy with the switch to Reaganomics, supply-side economics. 
So it it saw massive innovations in food, and you also saw uh, flavors emerge that hadn't. Um, and once Reagan said that you were allowed to market directly to children, you had a whole new generation of sugar cereals, candies marketed directly to kids. Uh, when the sugar prices went up, there was this huge move to high fructose corn syrup. And also, let's take one step back further, we all consume the same pop culture. We didn't live in a world with 900 streaming stations plus YouTube. We all had channels, you know, 2 through 13. We saw yeah. the same movies. We listened to the same music. So there was a kind of community. Uh, and we live in this hyper-divided society today. And there was this, this, this sort of galvanized American culture that we all took part in with big hair and big shoulder pads and Magic Middles cookies and Nerds candy and getting a chance to dive back in with my Jordan 1s on is the best. Nice. Most uh, eccentric thing you've ever eaten that uh, wasn't consumed <laughs> at a ballpark. Uh, what would you say, Adam Richmond? Oh, my God. On this show or in general? In life. Uh, in general. Because <laughs> you, you were unafraid of challenges, obviously, and you, you have to be a bit of a you know, Bourdain-like daredevil in this regard if – if you're going to succeed, well, I don't know if he set the bar for eating weird things, but uh, what would you say? What was uh, your strangest indulgence? I'd say, well, having having him and Andrew Zimmer as mentors definitely uh, definitely uh, encouraged me to not be afraid. Um, in Iceland, I had uh, one of their national dishes, the rotting shark, known, known as Okatl, and uh, that was repugnant. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a I had a moose nose in Alaska, oh, which geez. is pretty moose nose. as well. <laughs> moose nose. How did that compare with the McRib sandwich, or is that off limits in terms of uh, your adventurism? It pales. It pales in comparison to the McRib. It, it's got a lot less in, by, in the way of like sketchy ingredients, but it, it's definitely less appealing to the palate than the McRib for sure. <laughs> Would you put Skyland Chili anywhere uh, in the category of uh, off limits? Uh, no, no. Listen, if I'm if I'm in Cincy, I, I will still have some Scalini Chili for sure. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, all right, uh, the details on the show. When, when are we going to see the first uh, episode? Um, so it's already begun to air on the History nice. Channel. The third episode is coming up this Sunday. 9 p.m. is Food That Built America Season 3 that I'm in, and then new episodes of Adam Eats the 80s start at 10 p.m. 9 Central on History Channel, Sunday nights. All right, sounds great. We wish you all the luck in the world. Uh, been great following you uh, through uh, all your uh, various uh, episodes uh, with food, uh, including uh, uh, the competitive food uh, eating, yeah. which uh, you know we're great admirers of. And, and thanks so much for joining us here on the program on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, very good. Adam Richmond. Wow, moose nose. I, I don't know about that, Luby. I've never even heard of that as a thing. Like, I give credit for people around the world to be creative. They find, like, Shirley was in Iceland, and they eat whale blub, blubber. Like, they eat some very interesting things when they don't have the access to uh, importing like we do here. I would never think to eat anything like that. Like, it would never even dawn on me to, even if someone put it in front of me, like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> That's a lot. You have to wonder who had the balls to eat the first Maine lobster. Yeah, because that Think was about mostly that. gross. You got this creepy-looking thing yep. with a claw, and uh, you don't know what's in the tail. And then before you even get to that, you got all of this green uh, smush that comes out of it, and the legs and the tentacles and all of this. 
And uh, somebody actually looked at this and said, uh, even with the hard shell, and said, that's going to be delicious. <laughs> yeah, it looks, because it looks just, people hate I mean, roaches. That, that took some guts, did it not? I mean, literally, uh, and, and figuratively, too. Yeah, because roaches the first main lobster. are like the most disgusting thing, right? People hate roaches. Even if you love life and don't kill anything, you'll kill a roach. A lobster yeah. just looks like a massive-ass roach. Like, that's literally what a lobster looks like. So why all of a sudden uh, a is A roach it with armor. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it looks scarier because it's big. Like, a roach is little. Like, lobsters can get pretty big and pretty ferocious. Why would that be okay to eat? Like, that's I never thought about that. Like, who's like, yeah, let's eat that. <laughs> My taste in food is uh, far from eccentric like that. I'm aware. I'm right I, I, I don't want any of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, give me something that I'm well aware of what's going to taste like, what it looks like, what it consists of. Yep. And uh, I'm more than happy to try that. But, uh, wow, I mean, uh, I, I draw the line there. I mean, you're talking about off limits. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, the McRib sandwich, it would take a, a certain amount of guts <laughs> and intestinal fortitude uh, in many regards uh, to go ahead and, and devour a whole one, much less a couple, right? <laughs> Remember, you could eat like five McDonald's burgers back yes. in the day? Yes. I mean, you I'm could not- eat a whole pizza back in the day. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, that, that whole thing is uh, kind of dried up. Uh, but Adam eats the 80s. We thank uh, Adam Richmond for joining yeah, us. Cool. Another one of those uh, brief spots. And, uh, of course, uh, we have other things on the agenda today here on After Hours, Michael Luby Lubitz, not the least of which is the NCAA tournament and our discovery of the guy that's going to be the story <laughs> of the NCAA tournament. And that is a young man named Peter Kiss from Bryant University. Bryant University has qualified by winning their conference tournament in that brawl marred game where there was a brawl in the stands there. Yep. And uh, holy, uh, you know, meta world peace. <laughs> brawl in the stands. And uh, Stephen Jackson, right? You could see him. I yep. think he was even caught throwing some punches on that video. Wagner versus Bryant. <laughs> conference championship for some weenie conference, uh, the name of which I don't even remember. And uh, Bryant wins uh, the ball game. And they uh, also, I think, won the brawl. Uh, in the stands, uh, the uh, Wagner people were very, very upset about the way that thing was contested and uh, the people conducted themselves and comported themselves as well they should be. And uh, sure enough, uh, this guy, Peter Kiss, is a monster. And, and some of his antics might have sparked the acrimony and animosity that uh, developed and was uh, ignited in the, in the stands. Because uh, after every basket, this guy was making some kind of uh, showman-like gesture. And uh, apparently that's his M.O., uh, Peter Kiss. Led the nation in scoring, Mike Luby Lubitz. How about that? There, there's an obscure fact that uh, you would probably, it's not like some guy from UCLA or, uh, you know, uh, one of the big schools, Gonzaga. It's a guy from Bryant University leading the uh, nation in scoring. I, I don't know. What did he average, you said? Something like 30 points a game? Yeah, I, I, I think he averaged over 30 a game. He was the the, the leading scorer in the country. The, the problem is with those guys, you have to win for us to talk about you. Like, if he gets to the tournament where they're in and they lose the first round, then we'll never hear his name again. Like, that's yeah. the sort of thing that sucks about those guys. Like, that year that Steph Curry went on a run, it's because Dane, I think, got to the eights. John Morant did a similar thing uh, when he was in college with Murray State. The problem is FSU, I think, demolished him in, like, the Sweet 16 or the 32s. So then you didn't hear Morant anymore. Like, that's the only problem with March is, these weenie schools, as you like to say, need to win or these stories that are freaking cool sort of go by the wayside. Like, once they lose, we're not going to keep talking about Peter Kiss. Peter Kiss could be this year's Jimmer Fredette. That'd be cool. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Creighton yeah. went far that year. Like, Jimmer Fredette literally put Creighton on his back, and they went super far. Like, we, you sort of need that school to make, like, like VCU that year. Like, Valpo with Bryce Drew. Like, you... For that guy to become like a Cinderella face 
of the tourney, they got to win. I and I, I don't know about this this team. I've never heard of them at all, and usually that's not the greatest sign for a Cinderella. Well, and, and that's one of the keys, I think, to uh, making a profit on the tournament is can you spot the Cinderella? Yeah, yeah. Because if you can, you can make an enormous score. If you thought that Kemba Walker could uh, parlay that uh, success he had in an improbable win by uh, UConn to uh, go ahead and win the Big East tournament that particular season, then uh, you had to wonder if he couldn't just parlay that whole thing into success in the NCAA tournament, which they eventually won, right? Yep. I mean, you talk about a run, and uh, we have a friend that spotted him early on and said, you know what, I think this kid Kemba Walker can carry UConn uh, to the Big East. And uh, we keep reminding him that had he... Uh, begun a parlay with $100 and carried it all the way through the NCAA tournament, he, he wouldn't have had to work anymore. No. <laughs> he would have had one of the most successful runs uh, in, in history, right? Because you had to win, uh, what, like at least four or five games to win the Big East, four games at the least, and, and another six to win the NCAA. So he would have had uh, an exponent of 10 on his $100 bill. What's that work out to, Mr. Calculus? I'm not even sure. I don't know. And they were an eight seed in the tournament, so they, like, came from the clouds. Like, every single round – People count, even from the beginning, people counted that UConn team out the entire tournament. So your odds would have been amazing. Right. Especially the if money you, line parlay. If you yes. had just every game betted individually and just like kept rolling it and rolling it and rolling it and rolling it, you would have made sick money. It would have been insane. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it had to be like 100 to 1 to win the uh, tournament uh, the just uh, on the odds board, 50 to 1, something like that. Yep. So uh, imagine a parlay on the money line when you were getting, uh, in some cases, 2 to 1. and. Oof. And odds of that nature uh, would have been great. So can you spot the Cinderella? I haven't been able to zero in on that, Mike Luby-Lubitz. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know that we have one in Bryant University either because you have to ask yourself, just like you do if you're handicapping a horse race, well, well what exactly did they beat? And did they just beat a bunch of schmank teams that were on the same level? Now, now the advantage of having some of these weenie schools as uh, teams that you're going to go ahead and, and back as big underdogs in the first round and first and second round of the NCAA tournament is many of these teams have been together for a long period of time. They uh, usually feature guys that have been with the uh, university for four or five, sometimes even six years now with the COVID exceptions and things like that. And so you have much more experienced teams all the way around than you would say if you got, it's not necessarily the case as much as previous seasons with like John Calipari in Kentucky where his entire roster is comprised of one-and-done players. That, that's not really the case this year. But uh, you, you know it's closer to that than yes. having uh, the entire team intact. Yeah, we all came in as freshmen, and, and this is really going to be a great moment because uh, we finally get to represent our school in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, uh, those teams uh, do have uh, small advantages, uh, even though they appear to be under men, and uh, certainly uh, outclassed in terms of name value and uh, recognition and possibilities of going to the pros. But uh, they may, may indeed be better teams, which uh, under the uh, magnificent pressure that uh, you might be facing if you're one of the heavyweights in the first round of the NCAA tournament, uh, we saw what happened with Duke when everything yep. was riding on them uh, yep. winning for Coach K. Yeah. Right. Coach K uh, went off in some smarmy fashion on, on some uh, completely <laughs> negative diatribe, told the crowd to shut up because he had to say that he was embarrassed that his team lost and couldn't provide him with a victory on what was supposed to be the most magnificent day of his coaching life. Well, and that's the thing right? you talked about the other day we were talking about it and why college fo- in college football, you don't like, even if they span the playoffs, no one expects there to be more upsets because the reality is everyone has to stay at least three years. So you don't get the disparity between an Alabama and 
a uh, Boise State where, yeah, Boise State isn't as talented, but they have seniors, whereas Alabama has freshmen. No, everyone's been there three years, so even their youngest guys are redshirt sophomores, so they're all experienced, whereas in the NCAAs, it's different. You can go one and done, so the great teams go one and done. Well, these other schools, get that's why you see Virginia, and you see before this year, Gonzaga, before they started recruiting well, because they would have a great coach who would – Every three, four years, you'd see them come up in Iowa or Purdue because they would have their super seniors who are four, been there for five years and they've all played together and they all recruited together and they know each other so well that even though the freshmen are more talented, they get smacked in the face in the tournament. And that's why the tournament's so spectacular because it levels a playing field. The fact that you can do the one and done, it allows some of these other schools to be more experienced. And look, the Zion team, which was freaking loaded, two guys went in the top three, three guys went in the top 10 in the draft. Reddish, Zion, and R.J. Barrett lost, I think, in the eights because they were just young. Everyone on that team was young, and they got smacked in the face by a veteran squad. That's why the tournament's great every year. And a team like Bryant can come out of nowhere with a Peter Kiss because they're usually, you know, playing very well. The problem is it's hard to spot that. Like, it's hard to go, oh, there they are. So that's the, that's the thing. But if you can, like you're talking about, you can kill the tournament because that team, a lot nowadays, those teams can win two, three games. Yeah, I, I've been trying to spot it. I, I've been watching a lot of the weenie tournaments uh, in an effort to try and get a sense of uh, <laughs> which of these teams uh, might have a shot. But I've already been uh, hit uh, solidly in the stomach and uh, maybe even a couple of blows coming to the head uh, with follow-up right hands when Iona got knocked out of their conference tournament. What is that, the M-A-A-C tournament? It's not the MAC, yeah, yeah. but it's like the MAKE. Something like that. Well, whatever it is, I mean, uh, a weenie conference, one uh, entrant going to the NCAAs uh, is going to have to be the tournament winner. Everybody thought it was going to be Iona. In fact, uh, they were odds on. Yeah, you had to lay a price to take Iona in that tournament as a number one seed. Uh, we zero in on Iona because of Rick Pitino's presence there and the fact that uh, he, he went to such extremes that uh, literally, as we've been saying, he recruited players that, that were listed from parts unknown. Nobody even knows where, where he got these guys from. <laughs> they lose to Ryder by one point uh, in, in their ball game, and that's it. They're out. So uh, we're looking at uh, Patino. It's not going to be any upset uh, if he wins a couple of rounds in the NIT, but that would have been a team that, that we could have easily uh, latched onto. A couple of other things, you know, to come to mind. Uh, this Drew Timmy of Gonzaga. I, I, I'm willing to wager, and we had an expert on our Ion Channel show, a uh, college basketball expert. Uh, I don't know if you have to uh, put the air quotes around that, but uh, no, this guy really knows his stuff, right? Yes. And uh, uh, my theory is that uh, Mark Few is going to, I don't know that he's going to blow it, but I, I don't see Gonzaga winning the championship this year. Uh, th there's too much uh, parity all the way through college basketball, and especially at the top. It's not like they're light years ahead of everybody else, I even though uh, they will be favored and the number one overall seed uh, to win the tournament. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, their big star, Drew Timmy, doesn't he look like a guy? That was on your team in the 30 and over rec league when you were playing at the Jewish center. Drew Timmy. <laughs> With the mustache. He looked a part of like stud basketball player. I know he's a very good player, a very talented player, and will be a, you know, a, a big catalyst if, if Gonzaga goes far in the tournament. But uh, somehow I see them getting knocked off somewhere uh, along the way. I, I'm not sure that I'm buying that they're going to win the thing. And, and then, you know, the other question, these guys aren't going to be in a tournament, and that's fortunate because they didn't really – have a very good season, and they had the embarrassment uh, of having the son of the coach, Jim Beheim, Buddy Beheim, punch a guy in his stomach on his way down to court because he was angry about the wrestling that was going on in a 40-point blowout over yeah. Florida State in the ACC tournament. Now, uh, you would have to think that there's, uh, you know, not much more on the uh, table there for Syracuse in the ACC tournament. Their next opponent 
uh, scheduled to be Duke. So, uh, you know, that, that's uh, obviously uh, not going to be a favorable matchup, especially without Beheim, who was the leading scorer in the ACC, surprisingly. Went with a very, I mean, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, just, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, you know, a non-illustrious 19.7 points per game, Buddy Beheim. And, uh, you know, do you think he had the green light from Pops? Shoot the ball whenever he wants. 19.7 a game. I presume. A good ball player, solid ball player, and well-respected by people. Even Leonard Hamilton, coach of FSU, didn't have any disparaging remarks about uh, the punch to the stomach and the uh, obvious cheap shot taken by Buddy Beheim. And he was very apologetic about it after the game. He said he apologized three times to the guy that he punched in the stomach. You know, but, uh, and, and he's suspended now uh, for the Duke game. So uh, he'll be out. They, they lose their leading scorer yep. and the leading scorer in the ACC in the process for a team that was mediocre at best. Now, now Beheim is sometimes dangerous when his teams aren't all that great. When he's had the superstars, uh, he has come up short yeah. uh, and he won his one championship uh, when, uh, you know, he, he was uh, sitting there with a team that that wasn't all that tremendous, but uh, he had the one star player and uh, that was it. Uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, 46 years of futility, no? Yep. Syracuse University riding very much at the top. I mean, not one title. Does that get Jimmy B off the hook or should he have won more? Uh, he should have won more. I mean, the Derek Coleman year, there's been other years. More uh, how recently. did he lose with that team? The key smart shot? Man, that was ugly. What was that, 83? Yeah, Something like that. The mid-80s, the 80s, and that team, that Syracuse team was much better than the Indiana team. Uh, but And I guess Indiana was undefeated or whatever, but Syracuse, that team was loaded. Loaded for bear, and they said like it is funny because the years you like the year we went to the final four, they were like a ten seed. They had been written off. They weren't that good, but that stupid zone that you love to, to mock the two three zone, yeah. The three point shooting took them all the way to the final four. Yeah, Carmelo was the only thing that salvaged uh, that any year, kind yep. of dignity for the uh, career of uh, Jimmy Beheim uh, at this stage, anyway, with the one championship in forty six years <laughs> at the same school. <laughs> How do you keep a job 46 years with one title? It's pretty incredible. Although uh, always a very large modicum of success for uh, Syracuse University. But, uh, you know, that, that was an unfortunate incident. And the question, of course, I mean, it's second only to is there life after death, Luby? Mm-hmm. We talked about this earlier this morning. Uh, the, the biggest uh, question in terms of mysteries of life, where, where people uh, spend endless hours in church trying to find an answer to this question, endless hours praying to various gods and synagogues, in mosques, wherever they are, wondering, hey, what's going to happen to me in the afterlife? Which I think nothing. I, I think you're in the ground there and you get eaten up by ants and worms. That's, That's it, sure. right? I mean, unless you're in a very secure coffin. And even then, they'll find a way to infiltrate <laughs> it. So uh, okay. it's not a pretty fate, man. I mean, just, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, uh, do a little cremation, even though it's uh, not a Jewish thing. And, and, and throw my ashes uh, at the 16th pole at any racetrack in the country where all of my horses died. That's always been uh, one of my desires to go out that way. But uh, uh, second only to the question is our life after death is how the hell does Jimmy Beheim get by with that two, three zone for 46 years and, and nobody can figure it out. The same zone that you call when you don't want to play any defense and you just want to offer token pressure when you line up uh, recreationally in any sandlot uh, plot where you're playing basketball, right? Any court in America, you know, what do you do? You, you don't want to play any D so you, you turn around to your teammates as they're coming up the court very slowly and, uh, you know, while, while the guy is uh, yelling for the offense, work the ball, you're saying 2-3, two, 2-3. Three, two, three. <laughs> yeah. Because you want to cherry pick and hope, uh, you know, the big guy gets all the rebounds and we'll chuck it out to you with the midcourt stripe uh, so you can drive in there and uh, not even take a layup. Just pull up and take a 100%. <laughs> Against no opposition whatsoever. You're one on none. 
Cherry picking like you were Yarmy Yager at the red line there uh, <laughs> when he was playing hockey for the Florida Panthers, especially, and Vancouver before that. Uh, and uh, everybody's looking, going, wow, is this a power play? No, there's Pavel. <laughs> He's at the red line. Maybe that's an unfair knock on the well, great it's Pavel true. No, he did that. He didn't do anything but score. He didn't even try to do defense. Not even no, a no, zero, zero point zero there as Blutarski. All right, anyway, um, great being with you. Uh, and, and the tournament should be a gas. Uh, yes. I'm going to be out in uh, Atlantic City for that thing, and, and Luby's going to be carrying a load. But uh, I'm hoping to get some steam, uh, and maybe, uh, I, I don't know, is uh, is there a score to be made in these conference tournaments? I think so. Are we bet North Carolina to win the ACC at 10-1, to 1, or are they going to get knocked out early there uh, because uh, they're still basking in the glory of that big win over Duke, which I, I thought was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And I couldn't applaud their efforts any more than I do. Because they made a fool out of Coach. Yeah, K. that was great. The fact that he was so frustrated, yeah. instead of enjoying his moment, he had to talk I mean, about it. It's spectacular. He bumped into him and spilled mustard all over his tuxedo as he was going to the altar. <laughs> there, it was uh, absolutely great, right? And they're like, hey, "What happened?" Right? Now you don't have any chance to get a new shirt. You just have to go in there, and all the videos show that you're a schmink. Yep, yep, yep. that's that's the way it went. All right, so a lot of fun being with you here. Uh, thanks to Adam Richmond. Uh, sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, very well spoken. This guy, very yeah, he's eloquent. Great. Yale-educated actor and a guy that's uh, known mostly for his Anthony Bourdain-like unabashed adventures when it comes to food. And uh, now has a new show about uh, eating the 80s, which it sounded like you would just uh, get, get a massive you know, dose uh, of uh, diabetes, would it not, if you were eating the 80s? That's the only thing I can think of is we, he talked about nostalgia with eating. It's we try to be healthy now, and they didn't know any of that crap then. So it must be just pounding. Like, the show just must be eating all the crap you can. Yeah, got to be pretty disgusting, no? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll do it again tomorrow with you uh, on uh, Believe. Uh, it's always a pleasure being with you. Uh, Adam Richmond, our, our special guest on today's program, After Hours with Defoe and Luby. Uh, catch us on Ion Channel, 7 to 9 Eastern Time. It's a live audio and video stream. And uh, you can Google The Defoe Show, D-E-F-O, The Defoe Show, and find the archives of all of the programs. Uh, we will see you tomorrow here on Believe. And uh, for Mike Luby Lubitz, a uh, pleasure, everybody, uh, being with you. Thanks so much for downloading, tuning in, telling your friends about it as the uh, show continues to catch on the ever-growing, on the ever-growing Believe Network. Uh, Jeff DeForest from Mike Luby Lubitz saying, everybody, you just got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously, friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. All those ingredients, <laughs> no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes, really, really good food, amazing atmosphere, good for a family, good for a date, or just a night out for yourself, and prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched, steaks hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. First of all, they're not only open for delivery and pickup, all you have to do is go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both pickup and free delivery. Their hours have changed a little bit. Monday through Thursday from 3.30 to 10. And Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11.30 to 10. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. 
Again, Land Lovers, Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Land Lovers for making you always feel right at home. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.